Well, here we go, Arvin. It's the first episode of the Mentel Models podcast. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Rohit. And uh, I am Arvind. And we are here because we are two men who are interested in talking about models. Is that right, Arvind? Mental models, specifically. Mental models. Yes. And yeah. That's, that's why we called it. Mental <laughs> models. It's yeah. Like, so if you're here to talk, if you're here to hear about men telling models something, then you might be in the wrong place. But if you want to hear about mental models, then then you've come to the right place. And uh, and how this came about is kind of an interesting coincidence, right? Because I remember you and I were talking and you mentioned to me, you bought this book. You're like, hey, I bought this book called The Great Mental Models. Have you heard of it? And then I ran down to my basement and picked it up right away because I too had bought the same book. And what book is that, Arvind? And what kind of turned you on to the idea of it? it as you said, it was called The Great Mental Models. Uh, there's actually three volumes um, the volume one is general thinking concepts. The book's published by Farnham Street, which is, I think, a like a consulting agency, like a strategy consulting agency in actually based out of Ottawa, of all places. And they published this book a couple of years ago, where each chapter they have uh, three volumes, and each chapter within each volume just goes through a different mental model that you can acquire and potentially apply in different life situations, business situations. And, and I think what's important is one of the things they really emphasize is that mental models are helpful in decision-making. That if you can take stock of a situation or the context that you're in, and you've got kind of a mental model of how the world operates, then uh, thinking about that that model and and you know, reducing the complexity of, of reality and reducing life into the important features of that, that a mental model represents is just going to aid you in making better, better decisions. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, and I feel like I'm the kind of person who is super into personal development and business and kind of figuring out like a lot of things that are, end up being very tactical right? You go on Twitter, it's like, here's the 10 best ways to optimize your morning routine. But this is like a step back from that. Like, how do you even think about things, right? How do you process the world? And I love the idea of mental models as a way that can affect everything you do, because it, it affects how you think about things. And I like that in the book, his, it seems like his big inspiration for his company, Farnham Street, for this book, Mental Models, is Charlie Munger, who um, I don't know a lot about um, in my reading, but seems like someone who's not only um, really internalized the use of mental models, but has used it to become very successful himself too. So I love that idea of a philosopher, a philosopher being someone who actually applies what they do, not just mm -hmm. yeah. um, talks just about it. And these people seem to, to, to actually walk their talk a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had the thought, you and I had the thought that let's let's read this book together and let's actually read it out loud to anyone who wants to listen um, and not just go through page by page. And there's even Farnham Street has its own long form podcast where they really get into details with individual guests who are succeeding in this. But just spend 20 minutes and go chapter by chapter. And in the process of us talking about kind of what we've learned about it, um, then see if it it actually connects with others who might be interested in mental models. Yeah. So I'm excited about that idea. I think that 
It allows us to connect. It allows us to learn. And then who knows who else is out there who um, might be interested in this stuff. Side note, this is our second attempt at a podcast. The first <laughs> one was just recording conversations between us. Oh, this yeah. This one actually has a little bit more direction and hopefully substance. I forgot about that. I don't even remember what that podcast was about, but it, I remember it fizzled pretty quickly. And then you had Rad Dad Book Dad, which was great, um, which was when you, I guess that's when you first became a dad, right? And you started connecting with other dads. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, like like our first podcast, that fizzled out pretty quickly. So third third time, third time's a charm, hopefully. Yeah. So, so mental models, um, we're going to talk about the great mental models. And what's the first model we're going to talk about, Arvind? Well, you know, it's interesting. The first model, they, so the title of the chapter is The Map is Not the Territory. And in, in a way, I, I felt like this wasn't necessarily a, a specific mental model in and of itself, but more of a, uh, maybe warning's too strong of a word, but, but kind of a disclaimer on mm. how you should think about mental models. And and, and so they, they, they say the map is not the territory. I feel like in the chapter, you could replace the word map with, with model and mm. still get the same thing. But basically, you know, getting the reader to understand, hey, a map or a model, whatever you want to call it, is kind of a reduction of the complexities of reality into, you know, something that is more simplified and easy to digest, to help, help give you an understanding of, of, of what is going on in the world uh, and help you navigate, navigate that world to hopefully predictable outcomes. But the, but the important lesson is to remember that that map that you have, that model that you have of, of your reality is not reality in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and, and so maps are useful because they help reduce the complexity, but there's a few things to think about. Number one, maps are static. They are mm. created at a particular point in time. Uh, and reality is actually dynamic. It is constantly changing. And if your map of reality isn't updating to to reflect reality, then then the usefulness and the validity of that map, yeah, it, it sort of it sort of diminishes. It's it's kind of like in I mean, if we talk about actual maps, you know, if, if you've got a physical map or even if a GPS map, but there's construction happening on a on a sheet or on a street, sorry, then uh, like that map is actually pretty useless because yeah. you will you will you know take a path to your to your endpoint going on that street where there's construction, and then you'll get to the construction and oh. You can't actually take that path anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I and I like that you generalized it to models because I think like you and I both studied engineering, and there's this big emphasis on like so much of the world can be thought of in terms of frameworks and especially equations, right? Yep. We were in physics yep. and math, and so much can be boiled down to equations, which is amazing, right? Like if you think yep. of something as as straight, not straightforward necessarily, but as precise as E is equal to MC squared, like how much potential that has for modeling um, physical interactions. But then I remember when the housing crisis happened and Wired Magazine had a issue in late 2008, which was just a math equation on the front, right? And it's like, this was the problem, I think was their headline. And it was all about how this equation that was created 
to talk about um, the way you model housing and especially the price of housing was the mm. static equation that was created and all these more mortgage uh, lending companies were using it to talk about, oh, well, here's how we can keep creating these assets because the prices, the price of housing always goes up, right? And that fundamentally was wrong, right? It was a static equation. It was not precise. And it was one of the many things that led to this big collapse, right? But it was a map. It was a map that was static at one point in time. People weren't really thinking about how it was developed. And then the ramifications were huge. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a good quote in the chapter from George Box. Um, Remember that all models are wrong. The practical question is, how wrong do they have to be to not be useful? And so that that dovetails with what you were saying that a model, a map, whatever you whatever you call it, is really just a reduction of the complexity of reality into a more simplified understanding of this territory that you're in. But that map, literally by definition, has limitations, mm-hmm. and and the reader of the map or the 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 job of a, of the you know, reader of the map or the, the user of a model or whatever is, is not to memorize the map and, and, and not to apply the, the map and the model to all situations, but, but to understand what are the situations in which this map, this model helps me predict outcomes. And then what are the edges of that map? And so then where's their opportunity to actually explore new, new territory? Um, hmm. There was, there was, there was a, Again, in the chapter, you know, they talked about being careful about not fitting reality to the map. And I think so. I think hmm. uh, like an example of that might be um, you think about downtown Toronto and and Manhattan. They're both grid like in structure, right? All streets run north, south, east, west. And so imagine you're someone and you're dropped in the middle of downtown Toronto um, and but you're given a map of of Manhattan. And so you start walking around and you realize, oh, I'm walking around. Uh, I have a map of a, of a grid-like structure. I'm, I'm walking around in a place that is grid-like, just north, south, mm-hmm. east, west. There, um, the map I have is of New York City. Therefore, I must be in New York City. Oh, huh. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what they're talking about when, when saying, be careful about applying and be careful about fitting reality to the map. The map is meant to simplify the complexity of of a reality mm-hmm. at a particular point in time, but but never never do the opposite. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I feel like there's a like a logic puzzle there, or something that classical like if A is equal to B, then B is C, therefore whatever, right? Um, but yeah, I think that's um yeah, I think that's fascinating. And it's it's funny, you you talked about models and I mentioned this before with the equation and I guess I guess the big thing with the map is it's meant to be a representation to help you take something like reality which has a lot of points to it and distill it to something that's useful. And for some reason what came to mind a little bit for me was social media, right? Mm-hmm. If I think of like Instagram then spending time with people and actually engaging with them on things. Mm. You could look at social media as a way to say, well, this gives me a distillation of that, right? If I scroll my feed, 
And that shows me like what my friends are up to and I can see pictures and especially with some of the ephemeral stuff like stories, it gives me a peek. But it's actually really helpful and really healthy for people to remember that that's not reality, right? Tons of kids get really depressed because they're like, oh, all my friends are having fun and look at me sitting alone working, right? But you forget that it's not reality. It's just a slice Mm -hmm. of it, especially like a really fun slice. And the thing you said about not working in the other direction, I think that's really interesting because there is a reverse effect, right? Where people get together now with their friends and the first thing they do is whip out their phones and they start like shaping the activity they're doing to be something that's like insta-worthy, right? Mm, That's like, that's worth like photographing in a way. And that's, ideally it should be the opposite of that. You live your life and Instagram or any social media platform kind of captures that, but we're changing our life to make the, um, the medium uh, more interesting. So yeah, I I think that uh, it's, I I really like that idea of um, knowing in what situations the map is useful, what the purpose of it is, and then also making sure that your reality is not changing to adapt to the map. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good analogy. Um, Yeah. Social media is a, is a map of other people's reality and um, you know, as consumers of social media, we're, consu- we're consuming a map, we're consuming an abstracted, you know, actually, um, yeah, we're, we're consuming an abstracted map of someone's reality. And, and to your point, we, sh- we shouldn't, yeah, not, not go the other way. The other interesting point that, that the, the chapter brings up is that um, consider the cartographer. Right. So consider, mm, consider mm. the person that has actually created the map and, um, uh, and built the map. And I mean, they give examples about uh, Europeans, uh, the English or um, carving up Palestine or the Middle East and, mm-hmm, and, and some mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, but I think that lesson consider the cartographer applies to your social media example, right? Think, think about, you, you know, that, that the map that social media helps create, like someone that that end user that end content creator had to create that map mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and think about you know, again most people when they use social media and are creating that map of their reality onto social media they want it to look very polished and and happy and glamorous and and whatever like very very few people actually publish the realities of their life the, mm-hmm. the 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 challenges the, the 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 tough stuff that they're going through it it tends to be more the the, the glamorized uh po- polished version of their life yeah so con- consider the c- c- cartographer when when you are consuming a map that's cool i think it's um it's a nice I, i'm glad that we started with this one and it seems like then we're both parents too and so like i guess something on our mind a lot is how do we help our kids like understand the world mm-hmm. and just like peeling the onion back one layer to say, Hey, you've been given this thing, this map, um, this model, this tool, this app, whatever it is, which is great. Like it might, it might do great things and there's a lot of potential in it, but consider that it's not reality and think about these things, who created it? Why did they create it? What are the limits of it? I think that's really, really interesting. And it's funny because I don't know if this was listed in this chapter. I read it somewhere else, but I think it was in this, that when it comes to science, like we're very clear about that. Like Mm -hmm. here is where um, 
Newtonian physics works, and here's where Einstein's general special relativity work, right? And like scientists are very, very clear, like here's where you can apply it and here's where you can't for the most part, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in, especially in like consumer products or in, in maybe more generalized spaces outside of science, there's not usually an emphasis of like, here's all the places where it's wrong. Like when you download MapQuest, it's not like, remember, this thing is all bullshit, right? Like, it's uh, remember that this is not reality. Like, no, their their purpose is to say, hey, you can trust this, right? You can trust ways. Like, we got it, right? We're we're watching the situation. It's kind of up to you to be like, well, let me keep in mind that like it's telling me to drive off a cliff, right? So the same way, like when you use an app or anything, then whoever the creator of it is probably is not going to tell you it's not reality. That's kind of up to you to. Yeah. Once you have this lens to be like, let me take it upon myself to know what the limits of it are. And that yeah. sounds so empowering to me. Yeah. A couple, couple of uh, uh, thoughts. One, one, a quick anecdote and then one more generalized. Um, about a month ago, I took a road trip with, with a friend down Chicago and I, I had Google Maps guiding me mm-hmm. and, and my friend who was sitting beside me, he had Waze and it was so interesting I mean, Waze is owned by Google. Mm-hmm. So you you would think they actually have the same underlying architecture, the same underlying algorithms helping you, uh, like do, do, giving you directions and stuff. Yeah. But there was a lot of times, and there's a lot of construction along the interstates. Uh, there was a lot of times that we would literally put Waze and Google Maps side by side. And I was getting very, very different directions on what to do and where to go mm-hmm. than, than his Waze, uh, Waze app was giving us. So, you know, to, to your point, um, with, in the more consumer space, we're, we're, yeah, people don't like to talk about the limitations of the map. People don't like to talk about who's the cartographer and, mm-hmm. and, and what are the, the limitations in this map that they've built for you? Um, and then, you know, I think in a more more generalized sense. Um, actually, you know what? Going back to your to your thing about parenting, um, obviously, as, as parents and especially in twenty twenty two, information mm. is at your fingertips, and it is so easy to find and discover and digest information about parenting. And I think that's an area where people probably make the mistake of trying to bend reality to fit the map because you get all this content, all these lists on like, Oh, things to do to help your kid, you know, have a short bedtime or things Mm, to do mm -hmm. to help your kid get straight A's or like whatever. Um, Again, these are all just maps. These are all maps to to help you parent. And you're led to believe that, Oh, just you know, do these do these three things, like what you're talking about before, like the ten things to do before you wake or when you wake up, right? Like do these three things, and and that's going to help you uh, get the outcomes you want for your child as a parent. And the reality is, like, there's so much other context mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when those models work, and more often than not, when it comes to parenting, when they don't, or what are the exceptions, uh, and it it then starts to create this. I think as a parent create a little bit of this um uh you start getting this like self-doubt like oh, yeah man, what am what am i doing wrong because this magazine art- article told me that i should be able to just do these three things and my child will fall asleep no problem mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
and it like you know it reduces children to just these objects that can be you know finely tuned and and um there's just like parameters but hey they're people too and they're affected by their context and all all these other things anyways i'm going on a rant my point is that like yeah we're we're constantly inundated with these maps or these models of how how the world should operate but you know the content that we're served um the products that that we consume there is there's a cartographer behind them um who has their own agenda for something and like all maps they don't capture the full complexity of reality and so we have to be careful about applying uh, uh, of trying to fit our reality into maps that we're given oh i love that I think that's so powerful. And I, I, I think it's, I think personally, it, it seems so useful for me because we're often taught when we're in school and like, oh, think critically, like that's an important thing to do. Like critical thinking is important and kind of question the world, but how do you actually do that? This gives you a really specific way to do that. Whenever you're given a tool, then a model that you can use when it's a, even if it's a parenting article, who created this? Why did they make it? And what are the limits of this? Like yeah. just asking yourself those three simple questions can really expose so much. And especially because you've said in 2022, a big thing is that we're inundated with this advice. And my suspicion is the things that sound the simplest are the most appealing, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because yeah. whatever seems like, oh, there's like three steps and that's all it takes to a good bedtime or whatever. That sounds very appealing. And there's this impulse we have that if it's simple and it's straightforward, it must be right. And sometimes that's just meant to be reassuring to us, right? For some reason, I'm thinking of maps and you ever seen uh, Dora the Explorer as a dad, right? Like the maps are always like three steps, right? Like first you're over the lazy bridge and then through the balloon field and then you're at Tico's farm, right? Like, and like she actually goes through hell on the way, right? There's much more than (laughs) that. But yeah, it's boiled down stuff, to like swiping. Yeah, right. There's like so much actually Swiper on the map. Would not do well on Tinder. He'd be, <laughs> <laughs> he'd be swiping all over the place. Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, if you actually showed her the whole map, she'd be she'd never leave her house, right? Yeah. But exactly. like it's it's simplified to make it something attainable. And like yeah, this is this is a, a, a dumb metaphor, but like it's it's simplified to make it like actually something you could use. But if you actually like put all the details, it'd always be overwhelming, right? Um, so just being aware of like what the purpose of that is can be so empowering. Um, yeah, I, I think that's great. Cool. I think that's a good good place to end. Okay. All right. Well, the map is not the territory, and that's a good lens for us to use as we get through the rest of the models too, I guess. Yeah, we will, yeah. We will start every mental model discussion with those three questions. Who made this mental model? Why did they make it? <laughs> and, and, and what are the limitations? <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. All right. I'll see you at the next one. All right. See ya.